Thanks for listening to KVTA Afterwards, a show where we sit and talk about everything. Today, we're talking about some adult subject matter. Yes, we are. But We've got on. a little bit of death. Oh, no. Got a little bit of death. But yeah. it's, it's a risky sport. So here's my cold, hard look at a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. People do these things like climb. We're going to be talking about climbing Mount Everest. When somebody dies on Mount Everest, it's a tragedy. But they knew what they were buying into, right? Yeah, I think there's a pretty significant yeah. chance that you're not going to make it back. Anybody going up knows that there's a pretty good chance that something bad could happen. So you have to look at the thrill seekers. There's this wonderful documentary, and no, I do not have the title on hand right now. It's either on Netflix or it's on Amazon. It's about this free climber who was, you could tell he was on the spectrum, ADD guy. And it is so fabulous but as you're watching it you know is it are you talking about the disney movie no the disney is that's the one from uh yosemite that's spectacular and that's nuts but this guy takes it to another level where he climbs all over the place and you got to see this guy he's he was brilliant a great athlete and a great climber but every time he went up i thought dude eventually something will go wrong you know something's going to happen you and I both love the outdoors. We like hiking. We like you've you've even climbed places like Mount Whitney. Yes. Uh, have you ever hiked someplace intentionally that has a death zone? No. Have no. you ever thought, okay, I'm going to hike this, get through the death zone, wave at the top of the world, go through the death zone again, and get home? You go through the death zone twice. Yeah, two times. And what, what you're talking about that great move that that jump move he had to make that was half dome, or was it uh, the rock face? El Capitan. It was El Capitan. El Capitan. Mm-hmm. And there is that move where you're like, <gasps> the only difference with this is since you know about the movie, you know he survived. But still, seeing it takes you. How many times did you get dizzy watching that? Oh, like, yeah. You're like, whoa. I, it's it, even difficult to watch. And that's how I get with those. But while I admire the thrill seeker, sometimes you think there's a death wish involved mm-hmm. because the behavior is so risky. So with the climbers on Mount Everest – are dying on Mount Everest at a very, very high rate to show you the amount of people who can, one, afford it and survive it with a really good Sherpa. The other thing is, you know, the Sherpa does 90% of the work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they carry up extra tanks for the people that want to kind of cheat. And by the way, 10 years ago, it was a $450 minimum to climb Everest. That mm-hmm. was, it was like that was the minimum it would cost to go do this thing. Yeah, it's really expensive now. So you have to do a guess. We're going to play a little game here. Mm. An estimated blank number of people reached the summit in the last week. How many people have summited in the last week, Mount Everest? I'm going to guess about 600. Oh, very good, 500. Wow. You exaggerated, sir. Everybody else is saying 30. But when you look at the base camp, it's amazing how many tents are out there. This is a village yeah. of people who are all trying to do this. And you look at the mountain, just about any time it's active, there's it's a lineup. It's not really, it's hard to call it a sport because they're, mm-hmm. they're all just lining up waiting for the next step. It looks like they're waiting for the cars ride or the yeah. Matterhorn at Disneyland because yeah. the line is so tight. Uh, here's another one. The second deadliest year was 1996 when 15 climbers died in a season, and that was in Into Thin Air. Mm-hmm. It, have you read that book? It's great. Uh, I believe so, yeah. It is great. It's fabulous. But all of these stats lead up to, even with the technology we have these days, as being very, very risky. So now you must meet Sherpa guide Kami Rita. 
He scaled Mount Everest, summited for the 28th time wow. in his life. Nuts. And his family says goodbye to him every time. Every single time. It's, it's, I don't know if you've ever watched any of those where they talk to the family. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, the family knows what the Sherpa is getting into, but there's only so many ways to make money out there. Yeah, and it's a, a three to $5,000 season. So here's the other thing. If you can roll out the money that it costs to get up there, I hope you're tipping your Sherpa. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll go to the airport and hand the guy a fiver for putting our bag up on a rack. Really? Right. You know, what was the risk in your life for that, <laughs> sir? So I wish there'd be some way to um, fund these these men. I assume they're mostly men. I would. It's that's easy I think so, say, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, but it's really wild. But you, you've got to love the adventurer. And you got to love the story. Uh, but when you look at some of the things these guys do, the other interesting thing, just because I love numbers, the summit of Mount Whitney is like 14,400 and some feet. The summit of Everest is 29,000. Isn't it weird? It's almost exactly twice the height. Wow. Almost ex- So it's like almost 29,000 feet for double Whitney. And that's what they do. When I was up on Whitney, and I was fairly athletic back then. I was a runner. <sighs> And you're only at that altitude. So these people are extra special. But what I get out of most of this is you picked a very, very risky hobby. But think of it. When you're at a party, there's probably very few people who have summited. Right. And you, you have that on your on your list, and you have done that. So it's wealthy people for the most part, and it's also people who are in some level of shape. It was, um, it was uh, uh, Neil Armstrong. Uh, it told the great story how he was in a bar, like a Navy bar or whatever, and these blue angels were like, you know, holding for and talking to the ladies. He wanted. And he had been to the moon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was, <laughs> oh, that guy had to walk into the bar right now. The moon guy had to walk into the bar. I've always wondered how Sherpas feel because you see these guys coming down, guys and gals coming down and celebrating. I summited, I summited. But the Sherpas, number one, there's a season. They, they won't let mm-hmm. you climb Everest until it's a certain season, and that's when it's safe. The Sherpas go up before the season starts. They set all the ladders. They set the ropes. They make sure that there's a safe passage for you. Those are the folks that need to be celebrated as those Sherpas. Yeah, and they are clearing the path. Is it difficult still? Yes, but these guys are carrying all the way. And they say a lot of people have um, – have the packs that they're wearing so it's like you and me going up and we got this huge pack on it's filled with down jackets mm-hmm. so the whole thing weighs like eight pounds <laughs> and the guy who's really bringing up the grub <laughs> and yeah. everything else is the sherpa who's doing all the work did they pick this work absolutely but do they live in a very very rough part of the planet and are they bringing you on the time of your life i think agreeably yes so I don't know who who we're reaching right now, but tip your Sherpa. Yeah, you always hear that. Don't like it when you're up on stage. And thank you very much. Remember, remember the help. Tip your Sherpa. Maybe we could get bumper stickers. I'm in. I want to tip your Sherpa. Maybe I could yeah. sell those after my show. A T-shirt. I would definitely want to help these folks out. But it is one of those things that we have to look at as a wonderful endeavor. Great stories. Hillary, Sir Edmund Hillary, uh, was the first to summit. Actually, it might have been, and I'm going to say his name. Tenzing Norgay. Right, right. Yeah, Tenzing Norgay. He might have been the first. Might have been. Just to clear the way. The other thing that's, uh, if you read Into Thin Air, I highly recommend that as one of the books you read. And it is about that tragic season of um, attempting to summit. They talk about people who get 
like 100 feet, but the, apparently there's this one last harumph that is so difficult when people are taking one step every 10 minutes at that point, they look and they just say, I can't do it. And they, they were talking about how many people were literally, and when you look at 100 feet in real life, yeah, not that far, and they couldn't make it so they couldn't declare summit that's how difficult it is and there's a lot of people who are turned around because the time's just not going to allow them that that couple hours that they need to get up there because it's gonna because nightfall's coming it's gonna get cold whatever there's there's a lot of times they get turned around just so close to that summit and the logical transfer here the segue as we say in the business is to cheese wow that was big fan of cheese smoother than a baby's bottle smooth I love cheese. Cheese is great. So many cheeses. You got kids. So do you ever buy those separated, you know, the classic craft that's in a pack of like 30 and each one is separately encased? I'm kind of an anti-craft American cheesy type. As as my growing up, that's all we had. And we we also got the government cheese, which was really good. God, that was good cheese. That was my favorite. But we but we did. Did you really get it in the 30 pound? Because I I dealt with a lot of government Mm -hmm. cheese winners with the school district and they were 30 pound boxes. It was a big we would get a big block. It was was huge. And it was but they would give us that and it would last. It would last a little while, but it was such such good cheese. Yeah, it's good stuff. But I never but the as as I got into adulthood, the craft just didn't do it for me. I discovered mm-hmm. the Tillamook, and Tillamook yeah. is amazing. And there is, like, a lot of stuff when you think, well, how good could it be? Way better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, like, mm-hmm. way better. So craft does have almost a, a squared-up cheese whiz effect on how good of a cheese it is. But the big issue now for the Kraft Heinz people is people are having problem with the packaging. And I really think as a, as a race, we're, we're in dire straits right now. One of the biggest complaints about Kraft cheese was people were having a rough time opening up the individual slices. It's not that the individual yeah. slices are creating microplastics or whatever. No. It's that they can't yeah. open them. And there's another thing to do. If you are into saving the earth in any way, shape, or form, a great practice is sit at a table, open up, the craft because it's got a bag around it Mm -hmm. set the bag there then open up each individual and look at the pile of trash you have just for basically like 26 servings of cheese yeah you look at the pile of trash and not to mention those little pieces of plastic they're so light that they Mm -hmm. move you can't even you can't even keep them on the table they start flying away and you find out more about that stuff if you help out Stephen gama every saturday morning at uh, Port Hueneme because all those little pieces of trash are the ones that really mess up the environment. But I look at complaints that people have and you think the inability, like when I was a boy, I remember opening a sardine can for my dad when you had that key and you had to, I don't know if Mm -hmm. you ever dealt with those things. And you look at just the stuff, a GI can opener, when mm-hmm. you, the camping one where you had to do just a little, and people are complaining that it's difficult. I, I'm not, in this case, there's a great writer named Douglas Adams, and he wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And they realized the world was ending when there was instructions on a, a box of toothpicks. Right, Hold right. flat end between your, your index finger and your thumb, point to tooth. Do not and, swallow. Yeah, and if you look at that and you say, okay, they just had to teach me <laughs> how to operate a toothpick. 
Like another guy, a car friend of mine, I don't know if he came up with this meme, but in the old days when you got a car manual, mm -hmm. it told you like, oh, to jumpstart, do this, to jump. And it told you a lot of handy dandy things that you could do to do very, very low level repairs on your car. And he switched to the new manual and one of them said, do not drink the water that's in your battery. Smart. So you think <laughs> in the old days, they taught you like how to jump a car and how to check the cells and do that. And now they warn you not to stick a straw in one of the cells and suck up some water. Yeah, because as soon as somebody does, those car companies get sued. Yeah, and you got all that. I didn't know the water wasn't drinkable. Final thing, horn honking. When you pull up to somebody's place, you beep beep. No. I'm not, I'm not a big – they feel like that that's disruptive. So I, mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't use the horn very often. And, you know, in California, it is illegal to use the horn for anything other than an emergency situation. So you're going to hit somebody, run somebody over, something like that. You only honk the horn. So what we were asking, one of the classic horn honks in Southern California is you're at the light. Maybe you're, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, like going into your glove box. The light turns green. You don't know. And the guy behind you, beep. Now, mm -hmm. there's one horn honk that's just thick, and that's the one. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. You actually thank the guy for yeah. doing that. The other one is the lean. Yeah. The lean yeah. one, you know. One of the uh, – it was a, a stand-up comedian who was very funny. He said the shortest amount of time ever recorded is in California from the time it takes a light to turn green and the guy behind you to honk. Yeah. It's just <laughs> beep, beep, and, and they get mad at that. But one of the things this is going to affect, and this is how this whole conversation came up, was protests. When you have protests, honk if you're with us, and they've got whatever they're protesting up there. So people drive by honking the horn. That's the, it was an actual protest. So freedom of speech and expression was put up to, for grabs here. And the court said, no, it's not expressive to sound your horn, which is supposed to be used in an emergency situation. This might go to the Supreme Court. Oh, horn honking. That would be interesting. So you got Roe versus, versus Wade, Roe versus Wade, and horn honking. It could. It could go all the way up to the Supreme Court. I remember one time me and my brother were out cruising around, and we hit a very busy intersection in Sacramento, um, and one of the cars went through and hit the horn. Like, it, it, we, he was just mad and uptight and hit the horn. And then all, for whatever reason, we had people at all four directions at the light. So after he, he honked, I noticed the lady to my left that was kind of laughing. So I hit my horn just like he hit his horn. So then she hits her horn just like he hit all four of us kept on. And it was this really fun moment. We're all looking at each other, laughing. Like, ah, it was just a funny, great moment where everybody was making fun of the guy that was an idiot slamming on his horn for no reason. And that's what we have with our horns. Do you remember Honk of Your Horny, the bumper sticker? How could I forget? Honk, honk it's on my fridge. When we were at the uh, – when we were – just driving around. If you were, if a guy was driving your buddy, and you'd stop at a light, and there was a honk if you were horny, you would duck and honk the horn, <laughs> so the person would look up. Oh, just for a stupid prank that was golden, and my just be hitting you like cut it out. And that, but that was one of those things that brings back such fond memories. It's been my experience that those kind of jokes don't draw the kind of uh, attention that you want. You don't yeah. get the right people for some reason. It's always. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and what my uh, speaking of bumper stickers, crass ones especially, is my buddy actually had the one. So many women, so little time. Oh, and he drove with that, 
And I, I know what me and my buddy looked like. And I said, please take that off your car. Please, please take that off your car. It's funny. And it's like, no, no, it's not funny. My, it's just not funny. I remember my parents bringing us to an auto show when we were really young. And they, they didn't had no idea how debaucherous it was. Like there was a Playboy Playmate there signing autographs. But they had those, the all these bumper stickers that me and my brother at the, I mean, I was probably nine and he was probably seven. So amazing. Tennis players have fuzzy balls. Yeah. Golf players, it, oh, my gosh. It was so fu- Golf players' balls have dimples. It was just mm-hmm. all these things. And me and my brother just thought, what an amazing place our parents brought us to. The greatest thing in the world. And mom threw our Playboy autographs away before we even got back home. So it's oh. all good. So you even went to Playboy <laughs> autograph <laughs> sessions. I don't think we asked. I don't think she was happy that we went and jumped in line. I have no idea who it was. It would be interesting to look back and see if it was somebody – because a lot of people got their start, and this was the 80s, so that could have been somebody famous. I don't know. I had a Miss June out of uh, Thousand Oaks, about 1983, long time ago. Uh, autographed a poster for me. It was very, very nice. Wow. So I have a Playmates autograph. Don't know where it is now, uh, but I have one somewhere. That wraps it. We're done. Oh, wow. Well, what a great episode. How much fun was this morning? Can't wait to do this again every day, 1590 afterwards, everywhere podcasts are found.